and tell your neighbor, you are looking good today. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. Let me show you what I get to look at on my iPad every time it opens up now. My grandson, John the fifth. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, Pentecost was a Jewish feast, an annual celebration, one of the several that all the Jews would go to Jerusalem and to the temple to worship God. They're all together in one place, all the believers. This is after the resurrection. It's after the ascension. It's awaiting a promise, what Jesus said, the Holy Spirit would come to you and I would make you powerful, effective witnesses for me. So they're in a prayer meeting. They're waiting. Dozens of people are there. And verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a rushing mighty wind. And this was a, a, a manifestation of God's presence, of the Spirit's presence. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. In verse 3, they saw something like flames of fire. Fire being a, a picture of, of God, God's presence. And these tongues, these tongues are flames of fire separated and stood over each person. In verse 4, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Or, I like this translation, they began to speak different languages by the power that the Holy Spirit was giving them. Now, this was the day of Pentecost. It was the day the church was born, but it was also the fulfillment of John the Baptist's promise of Jesus Christ. Mark 1.8, John said, I baptize you with water, but Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And what we see beginning in Pentecost, we see throughout the book of Acts and arguably throughout the pages of the New Testament. But they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They became under the control of the Spirit. And I don't mean like a robot or a zombie, but it's as if they had this, a spiritual sense of God's presence had somehow energized their lives. It was more than just what they knew, more than their experiences, but, but God was with them in a very special way. And the gospel was advanced uh, throughout the entire world through the willingness of the people and the power of the Spirit. And I believe the same can happen for us today. I have been doing a series the last several weeks called Uncharted. It's been about the Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, if this is new to you or you just need a refresher, I'd encourage you to go back listen to the messages. It's online. You can download the notes. Some people download the notes before the message. They're already out there. Bring your iPad or your phone and, and you can follow along. Because I do my best to present to you not just a guy's opinion, but a lot of Bible verses. Arguably, 75% of what I say today will simply be reading a scripture, making it plain in such a way that God gives us clarity for how we live. Uh, this, this morning, I want to finish the series, and, and the message is called Spirit Talk. And I'm going to use this phrase because I'm going to focus on verse 4, what happened on the day of Pentecost, when it said they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. One translation says they spoke in other tongues. The other said they spoke in different languages. Uh, I would suggest to you that this idea of speaking in tongues, speaking in a heavenly language, an unlearned language, is very misunderstood. It's very polarizing in Christianity. It has divided denominations in terms of what people believe about the subject. Uh, arguably, uh, without question, it's a, it was a part of the Old, of the, uh, Old Testament, of the early church. Uh, but the question is, is this for today? Uh, I, I, I have met people and talked to people who said... Well, if you speak in tongues, that's the devil. How many have heard somebody say that? Yeah, sure. Look, much around the room. 
But on the other hand, I've talked to people who have said this ability, this spirit talk, this ability to, to speak in a language of the Holy Spirit has a remarkable effect on my Christian life. It's one of the greatest experiences that I have with God. So, so which is it? Are both true? I don't think so. But there is a pattern in Scripture that I want to show you today that I think will help you. Again, you don't have to practice this to be a part of our church, but I think there's something that we can learn from the Scripture today to show us in particular that particularly in our prayer life, our worship experience, our use of spiritual gifts can be enhanced at what I'm going to call spirit talk. I think because the very word speaking in tongues, that's where the division comes. So let's use the translation that says they spoke in different languages. An unlearned language of the Spirit, and, and I'm going to call, call it Spirit Talk. Punch your neighbor and say, hey, I'm glad I came today. This is going to be good. Uh, let's go first to Genesis chapter 1. And, and if I could contextualize Acts 2, I want to go back to the beginning. And I want to talk about the basic concept of languages. We take languages for granted, but Genesis 1-3, the third verse of the Bible, I want you to read this with me. And God said. said. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God had a language. God used words. He used syllables. Uh, in Genesis 2, it seems as if Adam picked up this same language. When Eve was created, Adam went to sleep. You know, first anesthesia in, in the history of the world. And he wakes up. He's, he's short a rib, and he's got a girlfriend. He's actually got a wife. And the man said, wow, at last... Because now he's, he's named all the animals. He's taken a lot of time to name elephant and giraffes and deer and, you know, squirrels and penguins and everything else. But now he looks around and said, there's nobody like me. And God created a woman. And he said, this is the, at last uh, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she'll be called woman. But what I want you to see, he said. And I want to suggest to you, God's language was likely Adam's language. They had a common language. I suggest to you that Adam didn't learn phonics. Modern evolution would teach us that language began by saying syllables or sounds. If you're a caveman that has found his descendants hundreds and billions of years after some explosion in space and some energy created a single-cell organism and life came on earth and this organism wiggled out of the water and started walking and, and got off all fours one day and was a monkey and got out of the tree and became Adam... That's what the world teaches you how people got here. Not the Bible. The Bible teaches Adam was instantaneously created. A woman was created. And Adam didn't have to do cave talk. Cavemen, I mean, you know, imagine now if you're a caveman and uh, your wife cooks some woolly mammoth steak. Uh, one grunt is brown gravy. <laughs> Two grunts is white gravy. <laughs> <laughs> That's not the way language worked. According, if you want to be, if you want to uh, find something from the Bible in terms of origins, God said and man said. But Genesis 11, we're going to see a big shift. In Genesis 11, now we've got who knows how many thousands of people, how many years later, but the whole earth had one language in the same words. One of the great challenges of of, of, of humanity has been how to communicate to each other, how to sh have a shared language, you know, how to speak Japanese if you happen to, to, to live in Spain 
or, or how to communicate if I want to do business in, in South Africa, but yet I, I live in Indonesia. Uh, how, to, how to share language. Well, Genesis 11, they didn't have that problem. The whole earth had one language and the same words. And this collective group of people who had somehow found their way away from God, they said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And the Lord said, behold, they're one people and they have one language. Now listen to this. Nothing they propose to do will be impossible for them. What a tr- Listen, I suggest to you the iPhone is here because of the potential that this verse revealed about humanity. People that learn to communicate, listen, you can, you can write computer programs uh, uh, and you can live in, in Japan and, and they can make the screen for the iPhone in whatever Asian country they do. They're building a factory in Minnesota and it comes together and produces this. But verse 9 says there's a problem. They, they, they built a, a, a tower. Uh, they call this place Babel. It's modern-day Babylon or modern Iraq because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over all the face of the earth. Now, when the Bible says back in verse 7, God confused their languages and they cannot understand one another's speech, it implies very directly that they were speaking different languages and it happened instantaneously. The one God who created man had a singular language, now created a multitude of languages around the world. Um, They instantaneously spoke different languages. My, My parents... My grandparents descended or came from the Baltic state of Latvia in World War II. Uh, when they would have gatherings with their friends, they'd speak Latvian. And here I am. I'm, all I know is a little bit of English, and uh, I'm lost. It's, it's all Greek to me. Uh, the ethnologue, uh, ethnologue catalog of world languages, this is, the, this is the world standard. It lists over 6,900 living languages today on the earth. Our Census Bureau says there's over 350 spoken in the United States. Wikipedia says 500 or more. But the root of all language was the Garden of Eden and the Tower of Babel. If I was an anthropologist, I would use this as a starting place. The Bible, listen, can can give us hints to science. It can give us places to look and and starting places to to prove our different theories. Uh, But let me kind of show you a little bit further how this idea of language works. Uh, I've got this app. It's called, uh, I think, Google Translate. Uh, let's see. Let's see if I want to, if, if, if you can imagine, if we are, if we're at the Tower of Babel, uh-oh, it erased what I said. I'm going to say, give me a brick. Give me a brick. We're building a wall, and I want to translate that to Albanian. Here's what it sounds like. I'm sure you can understand that. Tell your neighbor, Merjet Jetello. No, go ahead. This church, we're learning Albanian. How about if I want to say, give me, give me a brick in uh, Arabic? Give me a brick. I thought I did. Tell your neighbor, Albinitu. How about if. Azerbaijan. Sounds like his wife is a pig or something. It, but if I'm building bricks and there's a thousand of us in line and all of a sudden I say, give me a brick and said, your wife's a pig. 
we've got problems. Now, that's where the Bible says these multitude of languages came from. Now, I want to go back to the day of Pentecost because the same God that can confuse languages is the same God who can explain languages, is the same God who gave at one time new languages at Babel, can give new languages to Christians called spirit talk. Let's, let's, let's take it apart. Acts chapter 2, 4, again, these believers on the day of Pentecost, they're filled with the Spirit, implying not a zombie or, or trance or anything like that, but they have yielded control of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has the ability and the capacity to work through their lives in some supernatural ways. But when they're filled with the Spirit, there's an evidence. They began to speak in different languages. Again, I'm going to call it spirit talk. And it came because the power of the Holy Spirit was given them. They were not taken over in a trance. They were not out of control. They were speaking, but it was a, a God-given language. Uh, this, the word is translating as different languages or tongues. It's the Greek word glossolalia. It means to speak in a language you did not learn, a meaning that you may not understand, nor may the hearer. Now, I have a problem with that as a, as a Westerner, as a linear thinker, someone that has inherited my culture from the Greek forward. We're very much linear thinkers. It's logical. If A equals B and B equals C, then A must equal C. But, but this, anything outside of that matrix is kind of hard for me to lay hold of. But in this particular passage, we see the Holy Spirit gave people who, who didn't know a language the ability to speak it fluently, but also other people understood them. Now, this is important. Acts 2, verse 11, on the day of Pentecost, Jews were there, Cretans were there, Arabians, and here's what they said. We hear them telling in our own language, our own tongue, the mighty works of God. So that's as if, if I don't know German, but you do, and in German, I say, Jesus Christ is Lord and He loves you, and you say, Amen. Now, that may seem strange, but it's biblical. And I want to give you, as we go through this, some what I see as practical purposes or understanding for this spirit talk and why God would, would allow us to have it and why we might even pursue it. And this first purpose is spirit talk was a sign that revealed God's presence. God's presence was in the room on the day of Pentecost. And it communicated to people in words they understood. But it didn't stop there. Pentecost was not an isolated experience. Acts chapter 10, we have what some theologians refer to as the Gentile Pentecost. Uh, the, up until this point in the book of Acts, the gospel has primarily gone to the Jewish people. Now God's going to take it to the world. And one, day he, one way he puts his stamp of approval on it is he takes the leader of the early church, Peter, and he supernaturally connects him with a Gentile God-fearer. His name is Cornelius. He's a Roman soldier. He was a godly man. He was a believer, but he was, not a, he was not a practicing Christian. And what the Lord wanted to do is send a symbol to the Jewish people that I accept not only Jews, but Gentiles in the whole world. And look how he did that. Now, Peter is preaching. Again, this is a very, I think it's a very intriguing series if you want to learn about the Holy Spirit. We talked early on about how God gives visions and dreams. We talked about the spiritual gift of prophecy. And you'll see that in this passage. If you went and read that half a chapter, you would see that Cornelius has a, a dream independent of Peter. Peter has a, a, a vision. I'm sorry, they both had visions, and God supernaturally brought them together. So this is a supernatural experience. In Acts 10, verse 44, Peter's got a couple dozen people in the room, 
And while he's speaking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit came down on all who were listening. There was no human agency. Nobody was praying for it. Uh, They weren't talking about it. But it's almost like God invaded the room. Have you ever been in a church experience or a small group where you were just worshiping the Lord and it seemed like God was so near, nobody needed to say anything, but you just got out on your knees. Come on. You just got out on your face and you just wanted to worship God. Have you ever been in a meeting like that? It's wonderful. Well, that same sense as people were gathering, but this time the Holy Spirit speaks. Now look at verse 45. The Jewish believers were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been given to Gentiles. Now, here's verse 46. These believers heard them speaking in different languages and praising God. So these believers heard it. Now, it's, no, it's not like the day of Pentecost. There's no uh, scripture that tells us they knew what the language meant. But it was a sign, once again. It was a, this spirit talk was a sign that revealed God's presence, and it was associated with worship. Now, I'm going to add to this as I go, but what you're going to see is this spirit talk and worship and the gift of prophecy begin to come together in what seems to imply spirit-filled or spirit-led living. Uh, there's no mention here in this Gentile Pentecost, there's no mention of people understanding it, but there's also no mention of them being offended or afraid. Now, I remember the first time I, I was introduced to this whole notion. <laughs> I, I was afraid. I thought they were crazy. Can anybody say I've been with you there, preach? Yeah, sure. I, I was raised Methodist, grateful for my heritage, uh, discipled with the navigators. Uh, we were cessationist in the sense that we believed that this supernatural things was historically true, but not, culture, not currently relevant. Well, I walked in that little assembly of God Church, and they've got their hands in the air. First of all, we didn't do that in the Methodist church unless you wanted to ask Miss Green, the piano player, to sing a certain song. That's when we'd raise our hands. But they were worshiping like that. And then I heard people speaking in this language that I didn't know, and it scared me a little bit. One reason it scared me is because I didn't know the Bible. I mean, I I knew about that much of the Bible. I didn't know it was in there, and I didn't know what it meant. And perhaps they were even practicing it in a way that drew more attention to them than away from the Lord. But the bottom line, rather than initially helping me, it kind of pushed me away a little bit. But this is something for my own life. I couldn't argue with the fact that these people, I knew they loved the Lord. I knew they were saved, but they had a depth in their spiritual life that I didn't have. Now, I'm not talking about knowledge learned in seminary. They had some practical Christianity, some depth, some connection with the Holy Spirit that I didn't have. And I sensed that I was born again, and I was drawn to it. And for me, I went deeper in the Bible. I did what, as the Scripture said about the Bereans, they searched the Scripture to see if these things were true. Well, that's what I'm trying to share with you today, 40 years of experience on this subject. Uh, Acts chapter 19, which I think, if you want to circle a scripture for the day, this is the big one for me. Uh, Acts chapter 19, uh, Jews are already in, Gentiles are in. There's no sign to give an indication talked about here, but I would suggest that this was perhaps normative Christianity in their day. Acts chapter 19, this was the passage that showed me beyond a doubt that the baptism of the Spirit, this Spirit-filled life, was a distinct experience from salvation. Uh, These were Christians. I've already taught about this. You can go back and listen to it. But in a nutshell, they were believers. They knew the baptism of John the Baptist. Paul baptizes them in water, so clearly they're Christians. But then notice what he does. The Bible says he laid his hands on them. 
We've talked about the doctrine of the laying on of hands. It's a spiritual transference. And it was like God through Paul was giving them something of the Spirit. And here we see this language again. The Holy Spirit came upon them. And what happened? They began speaking different languages and prophesying. So now we see Spirit talk again. It happened at the laying on of hands. And I would suggest if, if this is an experience that you're desiring in your relationship with God, this is what I would do. This is what I did. I had people come. I had people pray for me. They laid their hands on me. And I had faith to believe that God was giving me the gift that I was desiring. Uh, th this is why. And I would say in this purpose uh, that spirit talk, this, this ability to speak a spiritual language, is normative evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I would not say exclusive evidence, but I would argue that in the New Testament that when people had this encounter with the Holy Spirit, this is what bubbled out. But also what I want you to see is it was associated with the spiritual gift of prophecy. Not only did they speak in an unlearned language, but we also added prophecy. Hence, we've got filling with the Spirit, we've got Spirit talk, we've got worship, and now we've got prophecy coming together. Now let's keep moving. I'm laying a foundation for you. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this spirit talk is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, remember I talked to you last time, nine gifts of the Spirit. You remember there's the word of wisdom, word of knowledge, there's prophecy, uh, there's discerning of, spir of spirits, there's the gift of faith, the working of miracles. I've left out some. But uh, the last two was this capacity. Notice what it says, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Uh, let me start there, and then I'm going to read verse 10. But 1 Corinthians 12, 7, when he lists these gifts... He says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can, say that one more time, help each other. And that's very important because the gift of spirit talk and interpretation helps people. It doesn't help me, but as we read later, we'll see that there is a great personal benefit in it. This is why what happened on Pentecost and beyond is broadening into very personal application. Uh, then he said, verse 10, the Spirit or the Holy Spirit gives one person the ability to speak in different kinds of languages, just like at the Tower of Babel and just like on the day of Pentecost. And to another person, he gives the ability to interpret that language. In other words, it, it, if I it was, was it the Holy Spirit inspired me to give a message in Albanian, but I didn't know Albanian, and someone else who didn't know Albanian explained it in English, that would be a supernatural gift called spirit talk. Now, it may be a little awkward. It's, got, it's, it's, got, it's in a minefield, I'll tell you, because there can be some problems associated with it. But how many know when you cut a watermelon and it's got seeds, you don't throw the watermelon away? And how many know watermelons with seeds are way better than these old seedless hybrids they're coming up with today? But anyway, uh, so this fourth, fourth purpose, spirit talk can be used to communicate a message from God when it's interpreted. And here again, it's not for personal benefit, but it's very equivalent, I would say, to the gift of prophecy. Now, having said this, and, and I know I'm a little technical this morning, but I want to lay a good foundation on this. I want to spend the last 15 minutes I have in 1 Corinthians. The 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, I'd almost decided to just preach that whole chapter. But I wanted to give you this background to understand that God is the source of languages. It should not surprise us that God create, created languages at the Tower of Babel and he gave people ability to speak unlearned languages on the day of Pentecost. But yet these things can be abused. And that's what the whole 14th chapter is about. So I wanted to lay the foundation first and then explore this because there's some tremendous positive benefits 
that Paul will give us here in this passage. Now, uh, because what was the problem was is, is their spirit talk was causing confusion. Now, listen to the context of, of what we're going to read. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. Paul said, In the following instructions I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. Now, he's talking about a church service. And how would you like, how would you like to be the pastor of this church or an elder? And your senior apostle Paul says, Hey, you guys should probably stay home and watch an old movie or something, because when you all get together, there's problems. That's exactly what he's saying. You got loosen up a little bit now. He's saying there's problems. Um, the book of 1 Corinthians, properly interpreted, is you have to see it not as a book of, of, of pure theology, much like Romans, but it's a book to correct problems. He starts out by, by, first of all, praising them, kind of making a sandwich. But he talks about the problems of division in the church. He talks about, he talks about the problem of authority, misuse of authority, or abuse of authority. But then he talks about problems with the Lord's Supper. Just before he spoke on spiritual gifts, after he said there's problems, he said, look, when you receive the Lord's Supper, there's many weak, sick, and dying. And the reason was probably because there was economic prejudice in the church. And then he moves from that, he, he moves to misuse of spiritual gifts. Uh, I have been in, well, I'll get that in a second. Let, let, let's, let's read together. What he do in this 14th chapter is he's basically going to say this. Spirit talk is a good thing, but you're doing it at the wrong time and the wrong way. He said, when you're practicing spirit talk, when Christians are gathered and there's people that don't understand it and they think you're crazy, they're, they're not built up. They're not going to be encouraged, and it's creating more problems than it is for benefits. So let's see if we can untangle this just a second. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Paul said, you should seek after love, and you should truly want to have spiritual gifts. Truly desire spiritual gifts. And I want you to see a spiritual gift is like a tool in a toolbox. When I was a boy, I was raised on a farm, and uh, uh, I, I would go out and plow all day, and probably all I had, because we didn't have a lot of money, was, was, was a, a pair of vice grips and a crescent wrench. And if you know anything about trying to get bolts off with a crescent wrench, uh, you're probably going to strip a lot of threads. You're going to round the bolt. It's just not what you need. What you need, you need a socket, and you may need an extension. And that's what spiritual gifts are. They're like a toolbox that's filled with tools to do the work of the Holy Spirit. So he said, uh, uh, you want spiritual gifts, especially this gift of prophecy, and I'll explain why. Those who have the gift of speaking in different languages, now listen to this, they're not speaking to people, they're speaking to God. Now could you say that? That's, that's amazing. And that's a good thing. No one understands them, but they're speaking secret things through the Spirit. Now, here we just read they're speaking to God, but just a few moments ago in the discussion of spiritual gifts, wasn't that gift with interpretation supposed to be for other people? But now he's going to introduce another thought and say, this has the ability for your personal life to build you up and strengthen you in your relationship with God. So spirit talk, another purpose, it's the way for my spirit to be able to speak to God. And that's a good thing. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good hand this morning. Now, again, like anything, God's not going to force things on us, and I'm certainly not going to do that, but I want to I share with you what, what the Bible seems to me pretty clearly teaches. Look at verse 3. Those who prophesy, it's not predicting, 
But they're speaking to people to give them strength, encouragement, and comfort. Now, I shared what I believe was a prophecy or a word from the Lord, a different one in all three services. Last night, it was about finances. In the first service, I can't remember what it was. But in this service, it was about marriages. Now, just because I say it doesn't mean that it's true or that it's God. You have to discern it. You have to compare it to the Scripture. But if you were a married person and you were in trouble and thinking about divorcing your spouse and you went to church, do you want to hear a story about Reader's Digest? Do, do, do you want to read something else about Hollywood and Weinstein? No. What you want to do is you want to hear a word from the Lord. Amen. And if it's in your marriage, don't you think that that would have given you some hope? That if you went back to the Bible in Revelation chapter 3 and began to do the first things, that's why the gift of prophecy is supposed to do. Now, notice what he says. The ones who speak in a different language are helping only themselves. And he doesn't say that's bad. Uh, the ESV, I like this translation. If you speak it, this spirit talk, you build yourself up. The NLT says you're strengthened personally. And how many can say, I need to be built up? Yeah. I need to be strengthened. Well, here's a Bible way. And then he says, uh, says this, those who prophesy help the whole church. Mind you, now we're talking about a problem. It's confusion because some people are, are strengthened and some are confused. Now look at verse 5. I wish... All of you, is that in your Bible? Yeah. yeah. I wish all of you had the gift of speaking in different languages. But more, I wish you had the gift of, uh, uh, more, I wish you had, uh, you, you would prophesy. So he's not saying either or, either spirit talk or prophecy. He's just saying, get them in the right order. They're both good things. They both have their place. He says, those who prophesy are greater than those who speak in different languages unless someone's there to interpret or explain what is said. Why? So the whole church can be helped. And this is the challenge of it. Listen, what I want you to glean from this, and these last two points are what I would encourage you are the most practical benefits of why I would want the Holy Spirit to give me this ability. It's because what we read is that the Holy Spirit builds me up and strengthens me. And can I tell you, friends, that is a good thing. I, I, you may or may not know me very well, but I can tell you this. In my own personal life, I pray in this spirit talk almost every day. Uh, as you'll see in a moment, there's an aspect of worship that can come from this. Uh, and it's what, it's an added dimension in my life. It's like, let me illustrate it this way. Uh, how many, when you get ready to put some tomatoes on a sandwich or make a salad, uh, you don't want a knife that your kids have been using to cut cardboard or cut wood on the back porch for, for, you know, for a Cub Scout uh, medal. You don't want that because if you try to cut that tomato, what's going to happen? You're going to smush that tomato and you have seeds everywhere and you just throw the whole thing in the garbage. You want a sharp knife. Can I tell you a personal experience from this? When I pray in the Spirit, when I engage in this Spirit talk, it sharpens my knife. It helps me to be able to, whether it's to hear a prophetic word for someone, to be able to pray with more faith, to be able to lift myself up, and it is a good thing. I practice this for some 30-some years of my life. And other than this little twitch that I get whenever I do it, it uh, that's a joke, okay? It's not an experience to where, you know, you become like a zombie or anything like that. Listen, you can turn it on and off or at will. You become very comfortable with it. It's a good thing. It's not where you're just like under control and I can't help myself. 
You know, I want to apologize to anyone that's here that has been in a Pentecostal-type church that has been hurt or offended or confused by the annex of some Christians. Because I really believe, you know, all the people I've been associated with, and I've been one of those Christians too, because, hey, look, I, I've been in church services where everyone was just encouraged to pray in the Spirit, but I've also seen people run out the back door. And in our pride, we said, well, they're just not very spiritual. In actuality, we were going against what this scripture is teaching. I know people who have been in small groups where people love God and they were trying to help someone they were praying for get a spiritual breakthrough, but this person didn't understand this spirit talk and it was the last time they ever came. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's not saying it's of the devil, it's bad. He's saying you discern it, but there's right place, right time. Come on, punch your neighbor and say, he's doing pretty good this morning. Tough subject. It's a right and a wrong time. Look at verse 13, and we'll, we'll head to the end. The one who has the gift of speaking in a different language should pray for the gift to interpret what is spoken. In other words, God can show us what it means, but the purpose is, is so that we can help other people. See, it's to build up the body of Christ. He said, if I pray in a different language, and this is very, very powerful, my spirit is praying, but my mind does nothing or I don't understand. Now, this is a hard one. It was very hard for me. But can I tell you, listen, how many know we are body, soul, and spirit? Our soul being our mind, will, and emotions. How many know our body is not born again? Our mind is not born again. Our mind is renewed with the Word of God, but our spirit is born again. So now Paul says there's a, a capacity to pray from your spirit. Now, that can only be good. Verse 15, here's Paul's resolution. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do both. I'm going to pray with my spirit, that spirit talk, but I will also pray with my mind. Now, I have a prayer list, and that's not a bad thing. But can I tell you, it's an enhanced thing if the Holy Spirit is involved in the guidance of it. I will sing with my spirit. I'll also sing with my mind. Part of the, my worship, if you're close to me, you could perhaps hear it, but I don't want people. That's a private thing between God and I. It's not for other people. It's my worship to God. It's my prayer to God. And that's what Paul, I believe, is saying is, is the right way to go here. But I think this is so important. It's why I made it the spiritual truth. This is the, the one impactful thing of the whole message. Spirit talk, or the most important, spirit talk is a spirit-inspired way to pray and worship. So, uh, verse 23, I'll close with this. Suppose the whole church meets together and everyone speaks in different languages. Some people will come in who don't understand or don't believe. People that aren't Christians. And they'll say, you're crazy. Now, come on. How many can say, yeah, I've thought the same thing. And what he's saying by implication is, that's not a good thing. But suppose everyone is prophesying. What does prophecy do? It builds up and strengthens and encourages. It's God giving a message to help another person. Suppose he's prophesying. The secret things in their hearts will be made known. They will bow down and worship God and say, God is with you. What does that mean? Their hearts are revealed. Two weeks ago when I was here, and I've been really trying to press myself to practice this. A couple of weeks ago in one of our services... I had this picture, and that's one way God speaks to me. It's in, it's in pictures. It's kind of like a, a, a snapshot of a vision. But I saw a picture of a person reaching the end of their rope, and they were about to fall off into the, into the pit. 
And uh, I interpreted that as you're ready to give up and quit. For some that's here, you may even be suicidal, ready to give up your life. But God wants you to know he's not going to let you fall. God will be the knot in the end of your rope. God will help you climb out. And, that's, and, I, so, and I said that out loud, took a little chance. And after service, someone came up to me and said, I know a person that was here. When you said that, they are suicidal. I know what's going on in their life. And we looked at each other saying, the Lord must be in this place. Now, I don't say that to bring any attention to myself because you can have the same gift in the hallways of this church, in the lobby of this church, or in the Walmart. Are you with me today? What we're talking about is not just for the church. It's for us to be able to make a difference in the world. We want to see as many people come to Christ as possible. And that's why Paul said this. Bottom line, spirit talk is a good thing. But in the church house, the most important thing is that people are lifted up and encouraged and built up through this gift of prophecy. And that's what I want our church to be, a place where people sense the presence of the Lord. You know, I'll tell you a little funny story, and then then we'll close in prayer. A number of years ago, I had a a woman that's become a good friend of of Linnell's and mine, but but she met me in the cafe, and she'd come out of a church that didn't believe in the present-day ministry of the Spirit, and she kind of cornered me, you know? And uh, she said, now you tell me the truth. Are you putting subliminal messages on those songs on that screen? Because when I come in this church, I just feel something different. That's the Holy Spirit among imperfect people. We're not perfect. This is not magic. But we are people endeavoring to try to live the biblical pattern. Come on, with biblical priorities and see the biblical fruit. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. It's worthy of praise. I want you to stand to your feet today and I, I want to I want to pray with you. But I do I hope you'll take this thought with you. Spirit talk is a spirit-inspired way to pray and to worship. It's a way my spirit can talk to God. It's a way that I can more freely flow in these gifts of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, first for every Christian that's here, I, I just think all of our hearts must be saying, Lord, I want it. I don't want the spooky, the weird, or the mystical, but I want what's real. I want what's real from your Holy Spirit. And I just, in all sincerity of heart today, I just ask you, Lord, to fill me afresh with your Spirit. To bring my life to a new dimension in spiritual things. I want more, Lord, than just going through the motions. I want more than just reading a history book. I I want to live the book of Acts. I want to live chapter 29. (laughs) Not as inspired scripture, but the book of Acts is the acts of the church. It's going on through all time. Lord, would you just come afresh today? Would you just give us whatever gift, Lord, is necessary for the moment? If it's a sick person, we need the gift of healing. Lord, if it's a person afflicted by demonic activity, we need discerning of spirits and and we need faith to see a, a, a deliverance. If there's something impossible, we need the gift of miracles. But every time we're around other believers, we want this gift of prophecy. We want to be able to encourage, to build up, to strengthen in the name of our God. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. Lord, many of us today are also desiring this ability of spirit talk. This ability of our spirit to communicate to God. To talk to God that even kind of gets over our mind. But yet, quite naturally, as we've seen in Scripture, a very good thing. Would you just visit us afresh today, God? Would you stir these rivers of living water that you promised to us? Welcome, Holy Spirit.
1 Corinthians 14, 1 comes to mind, and the Lord says that we are to desire spiritual gifts. The onus is on my shoulders. Gifts are offered but can be rejected. We don't want to reject it, Lord. We want every good thing from you. Let's close with this last last prayer. We're going to sing one last song and dismiss. Let me say I'm honored that you're here. Uh, I, I, I said a lot of things this morning, and I know you were thinking about it quite a bit. Download the notes. Actually, some of my friends download notes before church and bring them on their iPad or, or bring them on their phone and look at them. Go back and listen to some of these messages because what I've been sharing with you the last few weeks changed my Christian life. I went to seminary. I'm glad I went. I learned a lot. But what I'm talking about is something about different, more and deeper in terms of our spiritual life. And I'd encourage you, do what I did. Go to the Bible. Look at the pages of Scripture see if these things are indeed true. But we want to close with one last opportunity for personal prayer. If you're here today, we'll pray about anything. You have needs in your life. You've got troubles, burdens, worries, whatever the case is. They're still out in your world. And I would encourage you to come and let's leave them at the altar with God. But also, if something in this message provokes you, if you want someone to lay their hands on you and be filled with the Spirit or engage in what we call Spirit talk, let us pray for you. Last week, we learned that one of the ways we received spiritual gifts, received them, was by the laying on of hands when an elder or another believer prayed for that. So we'd be honored to. No better time to do it than now. But the most important thing we'd like to pray for here is those of us that may not be sure if we'd go to heaven or hell if we died. I've been speaking very deliberately to Christians this morning. But though I was raised in a Christian church and, and, and uh, raised in a Christian home and, and taught Christian thinking and went to a Christian church, I was not a Christian. Because going to church doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is receiving Christ as your Savior. See, many people have been inoculated with religion. Just like you're going to maybe get a flu shot. They put a little bit of it in you and you got just enough to develop a resistance. I fear that some are inoculated with religion. We've never surrendered our heart to Christ. We've never what Jesus called being born again. A spiritual rebirth. In my own life, I'm glad I went to church. I'm glad I believed the Bible. But what changed me was when I, one night, now it was August 15th, 1976. Say, how do you remember that? I was there. And I prayed a prayer something like this. Jesus, I need you. The way I've lived my life has not worked. I know you're real. I know something's missing. I want to surrender my life to you. I want to ask you to forgive me for my sins. And I want to commit my life to you as my Lord and Savior. And that night, I committed my life to Christ. And my friend, it was a change, and I've never regretted it. And if you feel like I'm talking right to you right now, like there's some subliminal message on that screen, (laughs) that's the Holy Spirit reaching out to you. And I'd encourage you, when we begin to play, slip out of your chair, come over to the cross, and someone will meet with you and talk with you as you make the greatest decision of your life. Prayer team, why don't you come? We're going to play this last song and then dismiss. If you need prayer, come let us pray. Most importantly, if your heart's drawn to that cross, do it today. I love you. Thanks for coming.